0: Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. I interview entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you get past your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and at my website, WinnieAnderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to join my community. You can become a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com slash fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you consistently move forward. With courage, confidence, and clarity, see you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are, and ultimately profit from your expertise and build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. You know, those of us who fall into one of the demographic cohorts referred to as baby boomer, or Generation Jones or Generation X, were raised to believe that the path to security, financial stability, and success was to go the traditional route of college, major in a degree that was very useful and desirable, and then get a job, put your nose to the grindstone, and maybe grab a corner office someday, or at the least a a nice middle management role. But that path isn't the sure route to stability and security that it once was, and degree areas that were believed to be recession-proof have proven themselves not to be so. And that's why I was thrilled when today's guest said yes to my invitation to come on the show. We've actually known each other for about 10 years, since right around 2008 or so, but this was actually the first time that we've spoken face to face Jason Alba is the founder of jibberjobber.com that's a freemium tool that you can use for personal career management it was developed as a tool to help job seekers manage their search for employment but it's also a great tool for solo professionals to use to manage their contacts connections and you know even freelance jobs Jason designed Jibber Jobber as a result of his own job search in 2006. He was laid off, but everyone told him, based on his experience, his degree, and these great talents, like the fact that he's bilingual, you know, he'd have no problem landing something that was comparable to the job he had. Well, that wasn't true. Jason soon discovered that looking for a job has become frustrating for a lot of people. He is the best-selling author of I'm on LinkedIn, Now What?, which is in its fourth edition. and I consider it to be an absolute classic, I've actually given it as gifts to people. He's also the author of 51 Alternatives to a Real Job. His undergrad degree is in Computer Information Systems and he has an MBA in IT. So listen in as Jason and I discuss how he went from applicant to entrepreneur and what his business has in common with many you'll see on the hit show Shark Tank. We'll talk about the mental health challenge that job applicants can all too easily share with entrepreneurs. We'll discuss the challenges that he had in coming up with a price for jibber jobber and the key thing to remember about pricing and business in general why pricing your services is the hardest thing independent professionals do, and why undercharging is so prevalent and why it has to stop. We'll also talk about what your offering should have in common with, believe it or not, toothpaste and toilet paper. And he shares what he'd do differently if he was starting all over today. So, as always, listen in all the way to the end, and I'll share your reflection exercise and action step for this episode. All right, so welcome, Jason. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. So, your company, jibberjobber.com has been in business I think it's since 2006 is that right
1: yes that was an epic year for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you didn't leave corporate life with the intention of I'm gonna start a business did you Uh,
1: no definitely not so I mean I always wanted to have my own business and do my own thing but I was kind of under the impression that all the better mousetraps had been invented and there really wasn't anything better to do Um, And my career path, it was a very traditional baby boomer Gen X career path. You know, go to college, get a job, work your way up the ladder, get a corner office, maybe have a private bathroom or a jet or something cool (laughs) like that. Uh, But, yeah, going off on my own was maybe some pipe dream for somebody else, but it it wasn't – it was not on my plan.
0: Okay. And so, you know, I kind of think of – your path, it's sort of like, you know, mine, only slightly different. Mine was a, a car accident that knocked me out of work. You actually got laid off. Is that right? So so yeah. you lost your job and then you couldn't find anything else?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was 2006, the economy, early 2000, like January, the economy was still good. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pretty good resume. You know, everybody that looked at it is like, man, you're not going to be out of work for long. Right. And I couldn't barely talk my way into an interview. You know, I mean, it, I know what I was doing wrong now, but um, at the time I got a lot of positive feedback from people saying how great my resume was. And then I was going to get snatched up pretty soon, but I, I wasn't getting anywhere. It was, it was very frustrating.
0: Okay. So you didn't even get interviews from your background, and one of the reasons why you felt like, hey, I'll get a job soon, is because you had a tech background, right? And we all think of you tech people, you know, you can get a job standing on the street corner.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And earlier, I think in, what, the late 1900s, that's how it was. You know, there were stories about people coming out of a liberal arts uh, program and getting some amazing job at one of these startups like Yahoo or whatever. And, uh, and here I am with a CIS degree, a technical background. I've been a programmer. Uh, I've done IT stuff and all kinds of technology stuff. And, uh, and I, I had everything. You know. I, I, by this time, I had my MBA. And I'm bilingual. I speak Spanish. And I just knocked off all those little checkboxes that people say, you know, you've got to do all these things to have a great career. Right. And when it came time to uh, not be unemployed, it it proved to be impossible, and it was it was just really frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, you wrote a post that is now several years old, and it it got f- about 500 comments. Um,
1: I know post, because back in the olden days, there wasn't that was all that's what a post it meant, was. Right? That's
0: right. That's exactly right. I'm glad you specified. So yeah, it was a a true traditional blog post, and I know that even just thinking about it, it chokes me up. I found it incredibly moving. Yeah. I really did. And obviously, a lot of people were moved by that. And I thought then how courageous it was for you to admit that it's depressing to yeah. lose a job. It's depressing to have, to have followed the rules, right? As you said, go to college. Get a, get a great degree in a, in a subject that is going to be high demand and follow the rules of corporate life, you're even bilingual and have all this tech background and you still could not get anything. It is incredibly uh, depressing. And I read it again a little while ago, and it made me realize how much what you were writing about applied to entrepreneurship because it can be very easy for us. We're we're isolated just like looking for a job. You're isolated in in doing that. Um, So can you talk a little bit about how you – this issue of faking it till you make it and that you've got to work hard, to be successful and just move past it how were you able to come clean with that issue about depression I think is probably where I'm really going with this and yeah. it, it, was it all rainbows and unicorns when you started jibber jobber or were there still some frustrations they were just different
1: yeah that you know that this is really such an important topic because um, my, my customers my users um, so Jibber jobber is a tool to help you organize your job search. So my user base are people who are out of work. And when we get snappy uh, support requests or whatever, I think, you know what, this is somebody who's in a really dark place, Um, because I was there. And I remember when I wrote that blog post, it's titled Depression Clouds Everything, and the whole idea was, look, when you're in a job search, here's how you do it, it's a linear process. You know, you do A and then B and then C and then D, and, you know, when you're in an interview, here's how, here's how you answer certain questions. And it's very logical, right? And, and what I found was even though I had all the process and the system and the logic in place, depression got in the way and it made things fuzzy and it made things not make sense. And, and you know, as, as depression does, it just clouds your thinking and it makes you think in ways that you shouldn't think, right? And so, um, so I remember when I wrote that blog post, I was shaking And I had goosebumps, I mean this was from the heart. And I didn't think honestly that anybody was really gonna read it. I didn't know people really read my blog at the time. I didn't think people were going to um, comment on it. But when I started getting dozens and dozens and a hundred and hundreds and more than hundreds of comments, I was like this is a huge issue. And people don't talk about it, especially guys, especially guys who have been in management or executive roles. It's just very, very taboo. Um, so, uh, you know, coming clean, there's two elements of coming clean. One was just writing the post. And I came clean and I admitted it and I started this conversation, uh, which was actually really cool and it was therapeutic for me. Um, the other part, though, as an entrepreneur, and, and really in my job search I had to, to go through this process of coming out of depression, because I'm not a depressed person. Like, that's not my nature. Right. I don't know if I've ever been seriously depressed before, um, not in this way anyways, and it, it was foreign territory for me. Um, so I was, uh, let's see, I got laid off on a Friday the 13th in January, and I came up with my idea for Jibber Jobber in February, And I think I was about six weeks into it. And I was really in a dark place by the time I got the idea for Jibber Jobber. Well, once the idea for Jibber Jobber came, I couldn't sleep. Like I was waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not a morning person. I was out of bed. My mind was racing. I couldn't wait to start the day. I couldn't wait to start working on this project. I went from a very uncomfortable zone, which was job search, which was not, you know, I was never trained in job search. And uh, I went back to my comfort zone, which was designing and developing and product management. And so um, the way that I kind of worked myself out of my depression was I had something to look forward to. And and I think this sounds really cliche, but the power of having something to look forward to or let me rephrase that, having hope.
0: I was just going to say that.
1: In my job search, I got to the point where I was hopeless you know nobody 's looking at my resume everybody says it 's great, but when I send it to companies i 'm not getting any feedback and the hope meter just went down to zero and then when this idea for jibber jobber came and I realized I could help people and I could monetize it and you know that this could really be a career path for me, I got hope again um, years ago, I spoke at a conference or a, uh, a job club down in uh, California Danville, California and uh, Dick Bowles was there, he recently passed away, he was the author of What Color Is Your Parachute? Yep. And I think at the time he was like 84, 86. And so I went out to lunch with him and his beautiful wife, Marcy, and we were having this conversation at lunch, And uh, and he says, Jason, your message and my message is the same. And I was like, well, <laughs> Tell me what my message is, because I know what an hour and a half of the content is, but if you're going to wrap it up and put it into a cute little package and compare it to yours, I'd like to know what you think that is. He was such a brilliant man. Oh, he, was. So he said, our message is a message of hope, and he went on to talk about hope. and. I've heard from the scriptures, you talk about faith, hope, and charity. They're a trio, right? Faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity. And I always got charity, and I always got faith, but I never really understood the importance or power or significance of hope Mm -hmm. until I had no hope right and and the thing that got me out of depression was when i started when i when i got hope and it wasn't just like a little gradual hope it was like overnight it was like oh my gosh there's so much light in the world there's so much good and i actually have a place i fit in again and uh, and that's what really changed it for me so when i see people that are in a job search and they're in a dark place and it's just not going well. Um, one of the things I try and help them understand is, um, I, my my way out was figuring out what my gibber jobber was. My gibber jobber was that thing that I could look at and say, okay, this is not going in a backwards direction. There's actually good in my future. So what is your gibber jobber? And for some people. Like me, it's another job. It's another company, you know. Starting something mm-hmm. for other people, it's actually it's just getting feedback because they start doing the right things instead of the wrong things. So, anyways, that's that's my that's my experience and my uh, my um, hope really is that people can find what their gibber jobber is for them.
0: Yeah, I think that that is just incredibly well said, and for me. I think you know you're just dead on with faith, hope, and charity. And I think that the reason why we say faith, hope, and charity, and not hope, charity, and and faith, is because really everything is rooted in that faith. Faith is trusting in that which is unseen, right at its most elemental level, and that's the nature of hope, right? Because yeah. when Jibber Jibber was just an idea, it was built on hope and that you were going to be doing something bigger than just you. And I I think that everything then grows out of that element of faith. And I think that listening to you, I can almost feel the renewed faith in yourself. Because I think I was a recruiter, so I've been on both sides of the table. Yeah,
1: and you've seen and the darkness. You've seen the dark people.
0: I have, and I'll tell you, just to give – go down a little side road a, a minute my my very first not many people know this my very first professional job was as a recruiter in an employment agency at the height of the 1980s recession in the early 80s my, one of the first interviews i ever did was with i'm going to get choked up was with a man who was my dad died when i was 14. he was my dad's age Mm. had lost his job after decades and was doing all he could to not lose it in front of this little girl yeah who was interviewing him and all i could think about was oh my gosh i can't help you i can't help you and on the other side though As as a recruiter, I've seen people who have been in that dark place, and when you say it clouds everything, it clouds everything about you externally. Yeah. And the hard part then is to communicate with some ray of hope. And and you know that there are people who then, and maybe they're they're not quite in depression, or maybe they're they're coming through it or something, but they're they're in a point where they're very angry and yeah. bitter about the process, and it just radiates out, and it doesn't help you.
1: Yeah. It no. Doesn't. Yeah. You know, when when I wrote the post, uh, clouds everything. I think I was thinking mostly internally, but you know, the external factor. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to network with someone who's who's in that very dark place. I want to help you, but I don't trust you that I can—I don't trust that if I introduce you to somebody that you're going to be in a mentally good place and not mess up my relationship with that other person, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, it's, it's just so hard. One of the most profound things that Dick said in that lunch, he said, um, and I'm going I'm I'm to paraphrase this because I don't remember the exact words. It was very short, but it was something like this. Choices bring hope or choices give hope. Yes, And so when I was in the darkest part of my job search, I was out of choices, right? I I didn't – there was nothing going wrong. I kept doing the wrong things over and over, and I was getting nowhere. And my first amazing alternative, my first amazing choice was starting my own company and helping other people and filling a gap that job seekers had. Right. And um, man, it it gave me so much hope. But it 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 was so so that's why I say you need to find your jibber jobber. What what right. is the right. jibber jobber for you? Because if you're in a hopeless place and you're clouded internally and you're clouded externally, you got to find something. You got to find something that's going to help you um, cut through those dark clouds. Yeah and be somebody that other people want to communicate with and network with.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and don't be afraid. I think asking for help and saying, I need help, I think that's an incredibly courageous act to take. It is. And, but I think that one, I'm, doing, I'm going to call it a mistake it, that we tend to make or we can make is probably a good way to put it, is we can share with the wrong person, who is incapable of helping us, you know, like this poor guy lost it. Luckily, I couldn't help him anyway. So, so he, you know, he wasn't losing much by losing his, his emotional control in front of little me. But imagine if I really was, you know, if he was talking to my boss who placed executives, yeah, he would have been done.
1: I mean, he would have you know, been blacklisted, you know, at least then. mentally. Yep.
0: Right, right, especially back then. Obviously, you don't have what it takes and then you get you get dismissed. So I I think that uh, and when I was in HR one of the things that used to bother me would be when people would bring me a problem and I had no power to solve it. So I think it's it's recognizing that you, you need help and then getting to the right person whether it's a, a, a you know a pastor, a your physician who can refer you to a mental health person, a counselor, a coach Somebody with yeah. somebody who can truly take action to help you yeah. so so when you were really working on jibber jobber it, you know it sounds like so much of what we hear on shark Tank right you you were experiencing a problem yourself and then recognized that other people have the same problem so you saw the need and you decided to fill it and and it is exciting to be able to come out of yourself and focus on on giving and, and yeah, the impact that you'll make. Sure. Was there any like I can make a fortune doing this? I can really. Oh, make absolutely. This. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely.
0: And there's so, nothing wrong with that, right?
1: <laughs> oh no, definitely right. not. I mean, um, if you if you live a life where you want to bless others, it's a lot easier to bless others when you're in a healthy place financially and and all kinds of health. So. Um, Around the time that I came out with the idea for Jibber-Jobber, I think Monster had just acquired a nurse job board for like $80 million, and I was like, okay, well, my idea is way more impactful and cooler than a, a niche job board. you know, and and Zuckerberg was uh, making lots of headlines back in 06 with this, uh, I think by then he had turned down the billion dollar offer from Yahoo. Um, So there was a lot of stories about companies getting acquired and stuff like that and I was very, very excited um, about the idea that I could create a company that would be headlined like that. Um, I, I became multimillionaire hundreds of times over as I was work, work my little spreadsheets and like oh if I just sell at this price and and then I multiply that by 10 and oh my gosh look at that money you know and it, it never really came to fruition but on the spreadsheets I was super wealthy um, but yeah I was I was definitely interested in solving a problem that a lot of people had and being able to mon- monetize on that absolutely
0: yeah yeah and and again, there's no shame in that. There's you know, I had a priest who used to call it doing well by doing good, and, and I, you know, that's talk about something that gives you hope. That's an incredibly exciting concept as well. And I think that the issue, you know, I wanted to hammer that a little bit because I think that there are so many people who have these big hearts, but who also have money issues have a money yeah. story that may oh but i want to do this but i don't want to you know i'm not in it for the money
1: yeah you don't want to gouge people right right we, we have an unhealthy relationship with money i would say generally in this world yeah um and that's something that i think we need to figure out it's a personal thing and, and the reasons for our unhealthy relationship are just very complex right it right. depends on how you're brought up or you know what what your teachings have been or whatever um, but I, I feel like I have a healthy relationship um, and an appreciation and a respect for money. Mm-hmm. Um, in the scriptures it talks about money being the root of all evil and it's the love of money. It's not having money, it's not spending money, it's not earning money, it's, it's loving and idolizing money. And so um, I don't idolize money, I'd, I'd like to have more. But like I said, I I want to have money to bless people. And that includes my family, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, But man, there's just a lot of good that you can do. You know, I worked with somebody who didn't have money. And he had a friend who was wealthy. And they both worked together to provide charity in South America. And it was amazing to me to see the difference between the two. The one who had money could put his money where his mouth was. Mm-hmm. The one who didn't have money had a lot of good intentions, but couldn't really act on them, you know? And I was like, you know, you're getting older, and you're talking a lot about this, but you're not helping anybody. Right. So figure out how you can take your business to the next level, and then finance your great ideas. And that was a big um, that was a big example for me because I want to make a ch- an impact in various ways on the world, right. and when I saw the difference between the guy who had money and was doing it and the guy who was just talking about it, I thought, well, I, I definitely know which camp I want to be in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that is a great example, and you're right; it is a multi-layered problem, but impact requires the funds to make that impact it really does yep. so i think that you know just as a, a side issue if, if anybody who's listening to this knows that they're undercharging right that's the notorious way that we then sabotage the growth of our business and ourselves you you just can't do it you can't undercharge because lowers the value of what you're offering, and it minimizes the impact that you're able to make on your own family, yes. I think that's a great thing to hammer home. You've got to eat good food. You've got to have good health care. You've got to live in a safe place, and that requires money, just the currency of life. Do you
1: talk about setting prices? Because I work with people who go from job seeker to entrepreneur, and if they're in a consulting or a service business, one of the biggest problems they have is setting a price. Do you talk about that in your? your
0: Yeah, yeah. It's actually something that I discuss periodically and I'm actively going to do an episode on pricing because it is so critical and because I find that, you know, I've dealt with it myself. I I've worked with people who have struggled with it and it's a value that's what they see it as it's a value judgment of myself and then it's also you know so I, I I'm I'm not worthy of this higher price. Yeah, so yeah. I'm it's here. a huge
1: it's a huge misconception so let me let me give you my two cents on yeah. this and I'm excited yeah. to hear your your uh your uh, session on that so the uh the biggest problem I see is my people come out of a job let's say they were making seventy thousand a year right doesn't matter what you make but let's say you're making seventy thousand a year and um, obviously your company is billing you out for more than that okay right. maybe they're billing you out for two hundred dollars an hour mm-hmm. the way the way you get to the hourly is you just take your annual and you divide it in half right so seventy thousand a year is about uh... thirty five dollars an hour and so you have this like i'm getting paid thirty five bucks an hour and my company used to bill me out at two hundred and they gouged everybody and so i'm gonna do somewhere in between and and people tend to go lower they 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 think well i i was only worth seventy thousand back then so i'm gonna charge well i'm gonna charge forty dollars an hour right. they, they don't what they're doing is they're putting the value on what their employer paid them without understanding the the what's called the burden or the load so they really were costing more than thirty five bucks an hour. Right. Um, but they don't understand on this side the value of what they bring to the table, the value of their solution and their knowledge and their expertise. So anyways, that again, that's that's an unhealthy perspective that we have that we need to under we need to under think about this differently. And it's not just how much was I paid in my last job. It's what's the value to right. you as a as a consumer or a customer. So anyways, this is right. This is a big topic, but a that's, side road, yeah. the mistake. that's the biggest mistake that I see entrepreneurs um, do when they first start out and start organizing their business.
0: Yeah, I, amen, and because we automatically think that I need to charge less because I don't have the experience. I got news for you. You have decades of experience no, and it. and and that makes you you worth it. But yeah, that's a, a side road that is incredibly important and I think it really does tie into this because you then had to price jibber jobber yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about Yeah. That?
1: <laughs> Boy, it wasn't easy, actually. Yeah. I bounced around quite a bit. And actually, to be honest with you, we, you know, we've been up for 11 years, and I just did another major price change. Okay. Um, and I think I'm going to settle into this one. But you know, what I've realized is that business is fluid, right? Like my policies are fluid, my product is fluid, and there's a lot of fluid stuff, including pricing. So I first came out uh, at $6.95 per month. And it just felt right. I didn't really have a lot of research going into it. I looked at other things that people were paying for. Mm-hmm. Six ninety five seemed to make sense. I talked to my uncle who had had multiple executive positions, and he was actually in transition at that time. And he said, "Man, Jason, you should charge like sixty dollars a month. This is." What you have created is so brilliant and so amazing. And so, you know, 60 bucks a month, really, this is so valuable. And I thought about that. And, you know, what's interesting is you'll get advice from people, but um, the best people to get advice from pricing on are the people who actually open their wallet to you. And he never did. Um, I would have given him a family discount anyways, but he never, he didn't even sign up for the program late when, when it was ready. So for someone to come to you and say, someone that you trust, and, and, and because of his background, I trusted him a lot on this, and, uh, and and he gave me advice that really would have been the wrong path. And uh, so you have to be careful who you listen to, yeah. um, and, and don't discount your gut. I mean, don't, don't go to somebody who is qualified to give you the right answer um, and discount everything else so anyways it, where i finally settled was nine ninety five a month and the way that i got there was i was at lunch with a guy uh... from a company he was in transition started using jibber jobber and we ended up going to lunch and over lunch he said how did you come to six ninety five a month and i said oh well you know i don't know i just kind of felt right and i did a little bit of research and he said oh well he was in marketing he said at my company We did a lot of research on monthly pricing because they had a a package where they charge monthly, and he said what we learned was that $6.95 is the exact same as $9.95. As far as the consumer is concerned, they look at that at the $10 level, and they say if it's under $10, then $6.95, $9.95, whatever, it's under $10. $16.95 versus $19.95, same thing and that had a huge impact on the direction that I headed. So um, so I started out at 995 and uh, well, I mean after the 695 for a little bit, but I went up to 995, didn't have any impact on my upgrades, like I had the same amount of awesome. upgrades. Um, what I've done recently is, and this is after 11 years of playing around with different prices, what I've done recently is figured out that I really want to tap more into my the volume of signups that I'm getting and have more conversions. And so I took off the 9.95 off the table. I don't do a monthly anymore. Um, I do. Uh, so here's what we did: we had three levels, and there were three prices: zero, five bucks a month, or 9.95. And you know, for zero you get this, and for five bucks you get a few more things, and then for 9.95 you get like 40 things. Well, that was too confusing. People. Yeah. First of all, three choices was too many, and the last choice had forty things, and that was nobody was going to go through a list of forty things. And so, um, what we what we finally evolved to now, and this might change again, but we have now is free, or the whole package, the whole enchilada. So there's only two choices. You don't like compare levels or anything like that, and say, well, the silver has this, and the premium right. has that. Um, and we don't and it's not monthly. It's just one annual price. It works out to five bucks a month. So it's $60 um, When we did that we saw our conversions go up I want to say four or five hundred percent
0: Wow, like overnight, that's crazy
1: overnight and and I was like okay this I am on to something here because <laughs> you know beyond the numbers What I did was I removed choices and so yeah. it, I, I, was, I read oh, I read this book. I can't remember what it is. I wish I could remember what it was, because I would buy it and put it on my wall. This is a book that was written in, I think, the '70s, and it was out of Colorado, and it was a guy who ran like the local score office, or the government, you know, the small business office. right. And there was a part in there. It was, it was talking to entrepreneurs. There was a part in there where he said, when I worked at you know, Walmart or there was a couple of retail stores, he said we had buyers. And the buyers had a list of criteria that if, if they go on a trip and they, you know to a conference or a foreign country or whatever, and they find a thing that they want to put on our shelf, they have to go through this checklist. And one of the things on the checklist was, there cannot be any education. We don't want to put a thing on a shelf and have somebody look at that. Imagine you're walking through Target or Walmart and there's like gazillions of things, right? And they look at a thing and they say, uh, that's kind of interesting, what is it? What does it do? We don't want that. We want it to be like toilet paper and toothpaste. Everybody knows. You don't, there are no instructions on toilet paper. There are no instructions on toothpaste, right? You go right. and you say, I need toothpaste, and you grab it. There's no education involved, right? And uh, and the whole concept of education and choices, so what I wanted to do was remove choices, which is weird, because I'm a choice guy. I like to give you options. Yeah. I like to let you make your own decisions, but what I've realized in my business is, as I remove choices, Somebody, instead of spending 30 seconds walking through the choices to figure out the best thing for them, now they just look at two things and they say A or B, A or B, you know what, I'm gonna go with B. Yep. And it made a huge impact on my upgrades. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can believe all of that. I love the analogy of I see it, I recognize I need and want it, and I'm ready to buy it. And there is the uh, one book that I can recommend, and I'll have a link to, to this in the show notes, is Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. I love him. He's a behavioral economist, and he talks about choice quite a bit and how we all think that people want a lot of choices, and we might even say, hey, I'm a choice guy. But really, more choices is just overwhelming. I mean, you just did a great yeah. job of explaining that and illustrating it. And I think that, one, because we love what we do and we're passionate about it, we want everybody to hear about it, yes. we just tend to give more information than is necessary. We just need the person to say yes to the next step.
1: Yeah. And then absolutely. A little
0: more information and then yes to the next step. And at some point, the next step is I need your credit card. I need I need your check. I need something here for you to take action and commit to. Yeah. So yeah, that's really that's really outstanding. So then you were with with Jibber Jabber, you're talking to a very specific audience then, right? People who recognize that managing their job search was a nightmare.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's typically anybody who's in a job search. (laughs) After about two weeks, they realize it's a nightmare.
0: Right, right, exactly. So that then helps them say, I want this. You have the different the two levels. Yeah. I want all that the the top level provides. I want it. And you make it simple then for them to say yes and and make that payment and, and jump in. And I do think that that's really really incre- you know, incredibly important for us all to keep this in mind. Um,
1: let, let, let me just make one quick point on that yeah. because uh, just to close this, this loop, so I said that we had 40 options uh, or 40 reasons to upgrade on the premium level. Well, when I went through this exercise of like removing choices and, and making it easier for someone to make that next step, we, we changed it to four. I took 36 things and put it on the free side. Stuff that used to be, you know, premium, I just moved it all over to the free side. And now when you look at this, there's like, you know what, I, I don't want I don't care about all these four, but I do care about this one or these two. As a matter of fact, I'm out I'm almost at the point of taking one more of those things and moving it to the free side because um, it, it just makes sense. Um, so, so one final analogy. I used to watch uh, what was it? It was the Gordon Ramsay show, Kitchen Nightmares. I think he would go in, and he would talk. He would go into failing restaurants. Yes. And yes. on almost every episode, the thing that he did was he took the menu and he simplified it. Yeah. Because they had they had a cheesecake men- menu, right? The Cheesecake Factory is like a book. And there's too many things. And he would always come in and really simplify the menu. And it was better for the customers to make a choice. It was also better for the bat for the for the people in the kitchen. Right. And so when we simplify things, we're making it better for everybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's I think that really is a great analogy. I, I and I know from myself, I'd go to a restaurant and I just go I can't and I order like the same most recognizable fastest thing I can So yeah, I think that in our desire to help people but also I think it's our desire to be loved and we're just looking for approval. We want to give people all of this because heaven forbid somebody say, No, you don't have what I want. Well I'll just offer A to Z everything and then that way you're gonna have something. And I think that this really speaks to the strengths of just our own emotions, our own brand, if you will, and know that this is what I do best. These are the people who I'm meant to serve. God bless all of you over here who don't want this. Go find what will make you yeah, happy.
1: That's really hard. No
0: emotional, it, <laughs> it's, it's so hard.
1: hard. It's it's hard. But it's but it's but it's a generally speaking it's it's an important decision and i think it shows that your business is maturing and you're maturing as a business owner yeah. when you can start doing that
0: yeah yeah and and it's not easy especially when you're a an, an independent professional because so much of it feels like it's personal rejection to you and that's that whole issue of detaching from the outcome and and not having your personal identity Built into the choice that a customer makes to buy from you. So, it, when you started putting this together, then when did you really? When did it really hit you that? Oh my gosh! I really have something. This is really working. Yeah. How long did did that take for it to happen for you?
1: Um. So that's that's a great question, and, and I'm going to answer it in two ways. Okay. The most important way I'll tell you the story, but the most important way that I want your audience to hear is um, that happened at micro levels from the beginning through now, like there are multiple times that I've had this is gonna work, this is working that I'm on the right track mm-hmm. um just just these confirmations that um that this this is an okay thing so The idea that you have these micro-affirmations that things are going well I think is really important. And it's not like you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you do these affirmations, but they they come when, when a customer pays you. You know, when you get a testimonial or anything like that, so that, I, there wasn't like a necessarily one huge thing that happened. But when I first started Jibber Jabber, you know, it, it was me and my idea, and and I'm I'm pretty stubborn and independent, and I thought, and those are I think characteristics that entrepreneurs are going to need, right? And uh, and so, anyways, I started out this idea, thinking this is going to work. I don't care what anybody says, right. but people need this. Um, But when I started getting career professionals giving me feedback, um, honestly, I can't remember one time where the feedback wasn't, this is amazing. Um, I can't believe that you've come up with this. I actually had an outplacement company say, we've spent two years or four years and $200,000 trying to do what you've done in three months. Um, College career counselors saying, I want this. Um, I, and, actually, there was one who said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll promote this to my students, but I'm going to give this to my future son-in-law because he's in a job search right now. Yeah. And so all of the feedback I got from insiders, you know, the 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 career coaches weren't my users, but they would be my evangelists. And And getting the excitement and the feedback from them was really what carried me for probably a good 6 to 12 months.
0: Awesome. So can you think of maybe two or three obstacles that you faced that entrepreneurs in general face that maybe surprised you while you were building this business that you think you know we need to work to get around?
1: Um Wow, that's a that's a tough question cuz I could think of hundreds of obstacles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think the pricing one is probably one of the biggest. That yeah. pricing really it's not as clear-cut as we like to think that it and maybe read about in textbooks that it's supposed to be. Yeah. You realize there's a lot of emotion attached to putting that price tag on.
1: Yeah, and really, you know, if a lot of the textbooks focus on uh pricing uh product and not services. Right. And right. and when we when we come at a world or from a world where we're supposed to be humble and not brag about ourselves and then all of a sudden we're supposed to charge 250 bucks an hour, it just seems unethical, you know. Right. So yeah, pricing is definitely an issue. Um I had to very early on identify what my role in the company was going to be and how I was going to utilize other resources. And so I had been a developer back in the early days of my career. I stepped away from it for a couple of years so that I could um, you know, go into management, and, uh, and I got out of development for a bit. When I started jibber-jobber, I thought, okay, I can program this. But I shouldn't, and um that that I think that would have been a final nail in the coffin obstacle if I were to have been the programmer. I was actually talking to one of my competitors early on and and in the course of our com uh, of our conversation, um he kept saying stuff about doing uh q a and and not development but q a and finally I said, "Well well, who does your q a And he says, "Why well, do, of course." And I thought, oh, well, that's great. But, man, I got a full-time QA person, um, and it's affordable. But if I QA full-time, I wouldn't be able to do any marketing. And so so what I realized was I needed somebody to do development, not me. I needed someone to do QA, not me. I needed someone to do marketing. That was really what I needed to learn and figure out and do. And I could do that better than offshoring it to somebody else. So figuring out your roles That's and great. and putting yourself in the in the best place. So one of the problems that entrepreneurs have is they want to go comfortable. So if you're a developer, you want to develop because you're you're yeah. you're a snob about how your code looks. <laughs> you want to make sure it's <laughs> right. right. Um and 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 it's com- it's comfort zone for you. Yeah. But the reality is what I've learned is that um having getting sales is not a function of having the best product it's really a function of having the best marketing and so you can offshore or outsource your coding um, and even if it doesn't look the way you want it to look your job is to grow your company it's not to write the coolest code in the world right so so anyways having having um, identifying the roles and making sure that i was filling the right rule for me was probably the most important the other one um, and this is a, a a pitfall a conceptual pitfall that I see a lot of startup entrepreneurs trying to figure out is funding um, so my company was funded through three sources there's the four F's of funding I think what is it 401k friends <laughs> fools and family that's what it was and so <laughs> Um, yeah, fool. <laughs> and, and it's actually different now because of the SEC law that allows you to like do microfunding and and raise money without you know going through their nasty process that only bigger companies could have done. Um, but the way that I funded my company was through my four hundred one k, which is now a, an item of history. I don't have a four hundred one k anymore. Um, I completely lived off of that, and then my father and my father in law both invested money in my company. Um, I talked to a lot of um, people who want to do a startup and they're like, and then I'm gonna hit the road and, and do what I call the dance. I'm gonna go raise money. Right. And they're gonna go look for angels and they're gonna look for VCs and I'm I'm thinking, dude, you gotta, I would never, if I were to start another business again, I wouldn't do that. Now I know people have done that and, they, and people swear by it, um, but I also know, I know more people who have gotten funding and had the investors close their business down and they had to walk away from their dream because of somebody else's choice, the, the investor's choice. I know more people that have had that problem than have gotten funding and made it rich. You know. And so um, my advice is figure out what your monetization model looks like. Um, when I started my business, I started right around the same time as this other entrepreneur. And he started consulting. So he was making, I don't know, 150 bucks an hour right away. He only had to work like two or three, or bill. He only had to bill two or three hours a day. uh, And he was at a comfortable income. My money wasn't going to start coming for months because I was investing into a product, and the product wasn't going to start monetizing for quite a while down the road. If I were to start over, I would try and figure out how I could fund uh, the The product development of my company through something like consulting or speaking or something that I could do hourly and get an income rather than wait for two years for my product to start bringing money in
0: yeah that's that's really a a super great point, and I think it relates even to the solo service professional who keeps saying well when i have x number of you know those starter clients and i've got x number of testimonials or when i get this certification or that certification or i you know then i'll i'll raise my rates then i'll charge but you just can't do that you have yeah. to charge the value at the time you're smarter than you think you are your experience is more valuable than you're giving it credit for and yeah you know what you're doing yeah, yeah. i think that's really well said so if you had it, you know you had that magic wand, and you were able to go back and and give Jason then the advice, knowing now what you know, what do you think would be the thing you would tell yourself
1: um, so I don't know so so many things come to mind, and I'll share some of them, but the i I don't know if I would have listened. <laughs> I had I had to go through a process yeah. you know yeah. I I the, the, for example the pricing I I had to go through this process of of trying this out and trying that out um I think what I would tell myself now is to really focus on what what would really be the best product and the best suite of tools and the best relationships and the be- to make my company Financially healthy sooner. Yeah, I think I think that was that's probably the thing that I would do because um, and, and I tried to do that. I mean, everything that I did, I try. I thought, you know, I'm 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 living off my 401k or my my family's I- income, um, and I don't like that, and, and I don't want it to happen for much longer. So, what's the thing that I can do to make it better? Um, the, what I learned, and this has really only been in the last year, I mean it's amazing to me how much of a learning process being an entrepreneur is. Um, what I've learned is the importance of a, a relatively new field now called UX or user experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so back in the olden days when I first started this it was UI, That's that was what everybody said, it was user interface. Mm-hmm. And most of the UI designers and thought leaders were all about like colors and rounded versus square and just visual appeal, right? Well, if you remember, I remember the day that somebody said, you should try this new website called Google, and of course I used Yahoo, right? And I don't know if you remember Yahoo back in the olden days, but you you would go to yahoo.com and it would show you um, weather, stocks, uh, news and I don't know what else, but it had like this huge. It was a portal. It had this huge everything, and so I go to I go to Google, and it loaded lightning fast, which was cool and different. But there was nothing on it. There was just one field, and I thought, but what about my weather? And what about stocks? I didn't have any stocks, so I don't know why that was important to me. But like, I I went I I had to go through this mental transition. Yeah. Well, we all know how that ended. I mean, Yahoo recently sold itself, and uh, and has been a failure for years. And Google has owned the world for years. Um, and that's UX. You know, the user experience is not about colors and and corners. It's about kind of what we talked about earlier, choices. They, they, Google took it from a ton to nothing, and so anyways, I, I wish, if I could start over again, I would focus on user experience. Now, I mean, that's really, and you know what? I am starting again, and that's what I'm focusing on right now, so you, you as an entrepreneur, you get a lot of chances until your money runs out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 you do. That's, uh, Jason, I could go on for hours, thank you. But, I
1: think we could go on for days. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. can you where should folks go to connect with you to learn more about you and to learn more about Jibber jobber and how because it can really it 's not just for uh, job hunters right I mean anybody yeah. could really use it to manage their connections right
1: yeah absolutely um, so Jibber jobber really is a crm it 's based on a CRM model. Mm-hmm. And um, I have plenty of entrepreneurs who use jibber-jabber. I have, I have companies with multiple people. I have speakers, um, solopreneurs. I love it when my job seekers turn into entrepreneurs and, and then they continue to use jibber because it's about managing those relationships and follow-up and stuff like that. So I would say go to jibber.com, set up an account. Um, it's super inexpensive because we've priced it for the job seeker, which means it's great for entrepreneurs. Um, and then a lot of my thinking, whether it has to do with networking or social stuff or writing books or marketing or entrepreneur or, um, or, ne- or any of that stuff, that's at jibberjabbercom slash blog. And I have 11 years of content there, so some of it's actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> it's, it's very good. It's it, Jason writes a great blog and, uh, and always has interesting information to share. So thank you so very much. And, of course, we'll have all of the links to things that we referred to in the show notes. So can't thank you enough, Jason. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you found that as interesting to listen to as it was for me to do. I just love Jason and I love talking to him and I think he's fascinating. He is very open and straightforward, which is another way to get into my heart. And he has a big heart himself, but he's also very practical and a very smart cookie. So if you like this episode, I hope you'll share it with your connections and please leave a great review for it on the platform where you've consumed it. Be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can even subscribe to the video version on YouTube. But when you subscribe at my website, winnieanderson.com slash fans, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you profit from your expertise by positioning and pre-selling yourself as the unique trusted advisor you are. All right, so your reflection exercise. This is another episode. I'm telling you, I could take this in a bunch of different directions, but I'm going to grab the one thing that I think ultimately is the most powerful here, and it's the issue of clarity and complexity of your offering. And I just love that analogy of toilet paper and toothpaste. How many times have you met someone who's told you what they did and you just sort of stood there and smiled and shook your head even though you had no idea what they were talking about? Or for me, I hear what people do and I think to myself, yeah, you and about a squillion other people all do the same thing. Well, either of those reactions is not very good. So I think you want to consider How can you make your offering as simple as toilet paper and toothpaste? Can you create a message so clear that people want your type of toilet paper and your type of toothpaste? So they're going to say, yes, that is for me, and I'm willing to pay extra for it. I'll tell you, my toothpaste isn't exactly cheap, and I don't buy the cheap toilet paper either. I've been thinking a lot about this stuff because there are things about my own messaging to be honest with you that I've been uncomfortable with and that I've been resisting and I've seen several people that I've admired talk about how your message needs to be incredibly simple, incredibly clear and there needs to be enough information so people can make a decision right from the website. Now I don't know about you, but that flies in the face of what a lot of gurus tell you and have told you for years. But I really think that it's true when you stop to think about it. Let's face it, we will read information that is genuinely useful and that means a lot to us. Think about a health website. You know, I've spent good chunks of time on health websites for me or my pets or people I know when I've been concerned enough and I found information that really resonated and answered my questions. Isn't that what everybody wants? Why should buying professional services be any different? Well, I don't think they should be. So I want you to think about this. Is your message so clear and your offering so simple that people hear what it is and say either, you know what, my friend Sue needs to meet you, Or, you know, we need to talk because I need that. You know, what they're really saying is, I want that. And as we all know, want trumps need. If it didn't, Oreos would not be for sale. All right, so your action step then, I want you to look at your website, and I want you to examine the content through this lens, if you will, of toilet paper and toothpaste. I want you to get somebody who has no idea what you do, maybe somebody in your own family, get them to read it and then see if they can explain back to you what you do and who you do it for. I'm going to bet they can't. Or, or and, ask someone who you think could be either an ideal client, read it, or have an ideal referral partner read it and give you the same kind of feedback. Do they get it? Have them explain your offering back to you. If the referral partner tells you she knows people that she needs to connect you with, then you know you got it right. And if you're the sort of independent professional who's wrestling with the issue of wanting to stand out but hating to stand out, of wanting more clients but hating to sell, but you're ready to step forward in faith into your role as leader to your audience, then I want you to visit winnieanderson.com slash action takers to learn about the Action Takers group and to sign up for alerts about the next time the group opens for enrollment. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Courageous Entrepreneur. It's been a pleasure being with you. And remember, you are worthy and deserve all the success you dream of.